Welcome to the Main Deck Podcast. If you like games like Magic the Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Pokemon, Dragon Ball Super, Digimon, Flesh and Blood, and many, many more, you're in the right place. For all of our TCG news and content and links to all of our socials, visit www.maindeck.games. Now, on to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Main Deck Podcast. This is episode 19. Uh, it's been a little bit, so I do appreciate your patience. Um, we actually, we haven't recorded a podcast here since uh, before uh, before August, actually, since uh, right before Gen Con. So I'm joined today by my good friend, Mike Piper. How's it going? Um, Mike and I are super excited to talk today about the, the sort of the main, the main thing we're talking about today is Disney's Lorcana, which... Um, since you know, since it has been a couple months since we released this podcast, that was kind of the big news um, in that intervening time. Um, so, in the latter half of this podcast, we're going to be talking all about um, the potential that Lorcana has, uh, some of the information that's been shown for it so far. Um, talking about our uh, maybe a little bit of speculation about we, what we think it's going to be like, what kind of properties are going to be involved in it, all that kind of good stuff. So. Uh, before we get to that, though, of course, our usual thing here is the first section where we're going to chat just about the card games in general that we've been playing. And now we have a good chunk of time, don't we, Mike, to talk about? Oh, we do. Yeah. Mike, I'm going to let you, you, you're, you're, I think, are more of the tournament ringer than I am. So I'm going to let you lead the way and talk since the last time we had you on a podcast. What have you done? <laughs> so I've uh, been playing in uh, quite a few uh, Dragon Ball Super and Digimon tournaments. Um, I know when we went down to Gen Con, uh, that was that was incredible. Gen Con's always like the premiere when it comes to the tournaments because you get to play. Um, they actually had uh, two Dragon Ball Super regionals, and then they also had two Digimon regionals, which was really cool. Um, the Digimon regionals were on Friday and Saturday, and then Dragon Ball Super was on uh thursday and sunday for for those so um yeah went down uh we we did the regional events and then i also went down to kansas city and <laughs> unfortunately the dragon ball super and digimon regionals were at the same time so i had someone play my uh digimon deck and then i had um i actually played in the dragon ball super regional so i've been playing uh quite a few card <laughs> quite a few regionals since the last time we've been on the podcast yeah you're you're i mean you're a our bandai player basically you play anything bandai puts out um and uh i you know i was down there of course we gen con's a big trip for us on the main deck team every year we go down and we uh, everyone's playing in all sorts of different tournaments um i actually did get a chance to play a little bit in a few competitive my hero academia events um i unfortunately had to pull out of the regional on saturday to help our good friends at panini who were getting a little overwhelmed at their booth um, so I wanted to try and, you know, see how far I could make it during the regional, but, uh, I did feel like I got to make up for it a little bit on the Sunday teams event where, um, our team was able to take second place, uh, which was awesome. So yeah, really exciting. Yeah. Mike. Yeah, was, oh, go ahead. I was going to say that was really cool being able to, um, to work with the Panini booth, like working at the NFL five booth. That was a lot of fun. I mean, I'm a big football guy myself. Go lions. I don't football fans you know literally when i was at the uh the booth and i would be like yeah i'm a lions fan every one of them went to me and went like i'm so sorry yeah. <laughs> i 
but but that was really fun to be able to work the NFL five booth. Yeah, I had to. Uh, um, I dropped out of the regionals early on Friday, um, just so I can uh, be part of that and and do the booth. And um, one of the things that I will like from my experience, just seeing a different side of the con. Like a lot of times when you go to a con, you're just walking around and 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 you don't really kind of get to see the back end of how things work. That was really cool to be able to like work at a booth, actually work at the con, interact with um, people coming to the booth and selling. And um, and then also after we get, we got to say after they, they shut down the convention, like the, the main uh, shopping area, we got to see what happens in the back end. My friend and I, John, when we did it and it, oh, it was amazing. Like um, definitely, definitely, definitely want to be doing it again. Just had an absolute blast uh, working with Panini and the NFL five team. Yeah, um, we, all of us, all of us there were involved in that, uh, yeah. and everyone in our group got to do a little bit of NFL five demoing, whether or not they knew about football, whether or not they had really played the game much prior to going down. But um, the general sentiment from everyone was that it was it was a really fun uh, experience, actually, just demoing it to people. Like a lot of people I showed um, were very interested. They had a ton of fun. They thought it was a really cool game. It's definitely like a lesser known. Um, game, you know, and I don't know if I can really speak to like how competitively viable it is necessarily or anything, but, um, if anything, if you're a football fan and you just kind of want to get an experience of like playing football on a tabletop, it's a gotta be a fun casual game to pick up. So. Absolutely. It's another one of those where a lot of people collect it, but maybe not nearly as many play it and they don't realize that there's an actual play mechanic to it. So. Ooh, I wonder if that's going to be any foreshadowing for a discussion later. (laughs) Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That'll be interesting. Um, yeah, for sure. So, Mike, uh, I know that during this event, um, during a Dragon Ball Super event, you had a pretty interesting experience, uh, let's say, with um, an opponent and a judge. I don't know if you want to take an opportunity to talk about that. It was it was interesting to hear a harrowing tale and and really to, just to kind of set the stage. Um, a tale of just kind of what kind of what what issues can come up um, that aren't necessarily in a lot of people's control um, that are related to the timing and the running of multiple events at once and and the difficulties that judge staff can face I think when they're when are they running these events so why don't you take the stage talk about it absolutely so first off to make very clear for those I have no ill will I mean it, it is what it is I mean what happened I mean it's just kind of the part of the event and it is partly my fault. Um, probably should have been uh, hooping and hollering a little bit more, but just to kind of, and, and also no ill will tomorrow towards my opponent either. Um, but essentially, um, was playing an opponent, uh, just to kind of get into brief details, I know not everyone who's listening to us plays the Dragon Ball Super card game, um, but he was playing more of kind of like a, we were both kind of playing kind of controlly type decks. And when he was playing the control type deck, um, uh, a ruling question actually came up. So we were trying to ask for a judge for a ruling question. Well, one of the things that they tell people in the event is that once you are done with your match, clear out of the way, you know, clear out of the way. So then that way for those, you know, we're we're trying to ask for a judge. It's really hard to get judges over to us when you have two control decks and we're like one of the final people in our matches or what have you. And we're trying to get over uh, someone over here for a ruling. Well, what ended up happening is it actually took took quite some time. I don't know the exact amount of time, but it took quite some time for a judge to finally come over and make the ruling. 
Well, the thing is, is that we were in a best of one for Dragon Ball Super, and that kind of actually took us towards time. Um, now, I wanted a time extension, obviously, because, uh, you know, hey, uh, the judge took some time to get over here. However, when time was called, and when I mean time called, I mean rounds over everything, like the, you know, how normally they'll do, like, okay, time, you got round, turn one, two, three, four. No, time was over. And then the thing was, is he instantly scooped up his cards and he said, you know, yeah, it works rightfully. I mean, if you think about it, he, you know, he's like, yeah, time called, I win. But I'm like, no, no, I, I want a time extension. <clears throat> and the way my board was set up, I literally, all I needed was next turn and I, I make one move. And <laughs> I don't want to overcomplicate it again because I know not everyone's in the Dragon Ball Super literally all i would do is take my nine drop and just be like um yep bring out tragedy all your all your uh, battle cards go to your energy take four life i went so <clears throat> that's kind of what ended up happening um a head judge did come over there but my opponent obviously they're gone my board's there opponent came over head judge didn't really have much of you know a decision there it's kind of like okay hey nope he, he he's gone he won um so it's i mean again no ill will towards the head judge staff that's a tough judge call to make um you know we were both control type decks um no no ill will towards my opponent again we're in a competitive environment it you know me i should have definitely uh raised my voice a little bit more um the good news is at least what was learned after that experience is literally there was a huge announcement made to everybody it's like Get out of the aisleways when you're done with your match. Get out of the aisleways. So then that way, people you know who are still playing, they could still, if they need to judge or a ruling or time extension or what have you, they can come over there in a timely manner and get that done. But I mean, regardless, I mean, it was a great experience at Gen Con. Again, no ill will towards the judge staff or my opponent or anything along that lines. Yeah, it was that, that was a scenario where. Uh, it's really difficult to pinpoint like who was at fault for anything there um, because there was, there was just kind of a little bit of everything. It was sort of a perfect storm of, of just like uh, it was a big event, a lot going on already. Judge calls can be tough to get to in time, but then there's a crowd there that's making it difficult um, causing things to kind of excessively, uh, you know, an excessive weight to be able to get a response to something. And then at the end of the match, Time procedures are, are you know, I, I personally really don't like when games have a uh, snap of the game just ends right now time procedure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I typically think that there should at least be like uh, complete the current game action type thing because games are not as, as much as, as important as it is to be quick when you play. Um, you know, think in a relatively quick time frame. you know, not, not taking forever to do things. At the same time, it's not a dexterity game. It's not a game where it's, you know, you're not playing slapjack here or something. It's like, okay, well, let's finish the game action and then do, and then end the game. And I, that's not necessarily how this worked here, but this is, has inklings of that. And that's been a thing in My Hero lately too, a little bit of like, well, they should be able to finish the current game action. The game shouldn't just snap and then it's a tie or whatever. Yeah, and I understand from a tournament organizer's perspective, like they do got to keep the tournament. I mean, <clears throat> best case scenario, we're playing best of three, no time limit. Everyone just take their time. 
we can do what we need to do. <clears throat> That's just not, unfortunately, it's not realistic. I mean, there's got to be, we, you know, there's got to be time rules and stuff like that put in place. So it is, it's that fine line of, you know, keeping, you know, you want the competitive play, but then also, you know, it just so happens when two control decks go at it. I mean, it, you're, you're, you're in for it, you know, it ain't going to be like pick up your deck and three turns, either I win or lose. So, right. It's you're, you're in for a long haul in, in some of those. And and that's also, that, I mean, that's a tricky thing just to work out in from a game design perspective is you, you want decks to exist that can take a while um, and control the game because that creates interesting gameplay states. You know, that's you, you, you really, if you look at any game that's, and, and a lot of games have had like, um, eras of their metagame where it's just aggro kind of focused aggro decks. Dragon Ball Super definitely had um, a section of that for a while that I, re- I think that was more like when I was playing it a little bit um, yeah. and games were just kind of snap and turn, turn two, three. And it wasn't like, because you're controlling, it wasn't cause you're like, it was just like going wide, playing a million things, attacking, and then um, the game's over. And that's not, a, that's, that's just not as interesting for people to play. So you need to open the door for people to be able to play decks that naturally play slower, but at the same time, you have to control these events <laughs> from uh, yeah. going too too long. For sure. And then you're always going to have it where two control decks <clears throat> go at it. And that's just kind of, as a control player, you accept that. It's like, if that comes into factor, you're like, okay, this is going to be a long grindy game. It is what it is. Um, yeah. So when it comes to the whole time thing, I mean, again, no ill will towards any anybody. I mean, it was what it was. And uh, yeah, I still had an absolute blast at Gen Con. I mean, Gen Con was just an unbelievable experience. Same thing with Kansas City. Kansas City, same, well, not the same thing. Unfortunately, what happened at Kansas City, really bummed out about it. But um, uh, when we went down, um, I went down with my locals. Uh, we went down to Kansas City. And um, there were two tournaments, Dragon Ball Super and Digimon. They were played at the same time. So I was like, oh, darn, I wish I could, like, split myself in two and play in both tournaments. So what I did is I decided to play in the Dragon Ball Super tournament because there was less people in it. It just makes sense. It's like, okay, I'm going to play um, Super. So I did let my friend Matt, and he actually used my uh, purple-yellow uh, security control deck. And he did an absolute fantastic job with the deck at regionals he ended up getting top 16 i think he got 12th place with it um just awesome awesome job fortunately with dragon ball super um and again no ill will towards uh ppg this isn't their fault at all again this was a this was a call that i ended up making was i ordered uh product uh ppg because uh, the pro play set, games you know, pro play games yep sorry pro play games so uh, ordered fr- from the new set, and uh, when we got down uh, to um, Kansas, and I'm like, all right, I got my cards for my deck. I'm ready to go. Here we go. No, they're, uh, uh, the plane that they took, I think, I forget what one, I think it was United or Spirit. I forget which one they told me they took, but they ended up taking the, um, uh, their luggage didn't come in, so they didn't have any of my product and any of the new stuff for my deck and i'm like oh no yeah that's that's the worst when you you place the order and you do the pickup at the convention or whatever the event because you know all right then i'm guaranteed to have it on the day off yeah well. and, and the thing is is when dragon ball super the new the new set which i know uh hopefully we'll be doing a, a podcast over that soon uh for we Zenkai. Will. um yeah uh they um 
and there was a lot of stuff added like z deck and all that and, and and i had none of that like none of that so i go i'm going into the regional and i'm like well all right let's just see how big of an impact the z deck makes i mean can't be that big of an impact right right so why don't you foreshadow the next podcast how big was the impact huge i <laughs> changed the game 100 percent change the game people play differently now everything so i will tell you foreshadowing of the next podcast yeah j- just try playing the game without a z deck now you'll <laughs> let me know how far you get no oh, well well bad news at that regional i mean i was happy i went four and uh or uh what do you call it three and four three and four Wait, no, we played eight <laughs> rounds four and four it was four and four okay, okay. So, well you went even you went even at least you picked up games but no z deck no nothing went in there and i'm like Huh. I don't know. Honestly, I'm impressed that you you went even on the uh, an even yeah. split on your games, having none of that. I did that, but yeah, I mean, um, but still, again, Kansas City, wonderful experience. Ended up uh, right at the yep, right there, Michelangelo. I actually got to meet the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, and then the actor that played uh, Michelangelo. I got to meet him. He actually signed my uh, Pied Piper um uh michelangelo figure Makes I, sense. Piper, so i have a question about that uh, that's really cool actually i didn't realize the, the whole piper thing with that too um right uh i have a question about that so and i'm not a teenage mutant ninja turtle guy i'm so i was just it was a little before my time so I, and i just oh. never got into it um but uh i have seen the really awesome movie with the whole vanilla ice song and everything all right. Um, so when you talk about you, you met the Michelangelo actor. Was it? Uh, is that the guy from the movie or the guy from the show? Or are they the same person? So it's the guy from my understanding is um, uh, Johnny. Oh, I forget his last name offhand. Um, but he played the Michelangelo figure with Vanilla Ice. Um, in the movie. Okay. This is this, so. This is the one from the movie. Correct nice that that i actually can i can understand that reference that movie is so bad but it's really entertaining (laughs) at the same time (laughs) yeah old school 80s and then i got to meet the red power ranger um austin st john which was really cool i wish i would have brought my helmet um but uh we did actually it was really cool we talked for about 10 minutes um because uh i got to him like when the line was people were starting to go on lunch or what have you so there was no one in line but we actually started talking um like we were talking about his comics and his upcoming stuff and then one of the things we got into was uh amazon um because he's like you know hey how's it going where do you work and i go oh yeah hey i work for amazon he's oh i've called into amazon trying to do this and that was a really cool conversation trying to get them set up on selling on amazon so i'm like oh you need to talk to this person this person uh i work for amazon background i i work from home like this is what all of your scene this is my office like this is my this is what i get to work around every day (laughs) this is like my happy place my cards everything so yeah that was a nice cool conversation yeah that's really cool. I never, whenever we go to cons, I never get a chance to go visit with the celebrities or whoever's there. I'm just, I'm always, yeah. I got too many things on my schedule. <laughs> yeah. Gen Con. Yeah. I Same thing. I mean, Gen Con with all the tournaments and stuff, but it was kind of nice to have that, you know, kind of especially Sunday. Cause there was no tournament on Sunday. I was able to do a lot of that stuff on Sunday. I even picked up new lightsabers, which honestly I'd show you all the like, 
uh the really cool lightsabers i bought like they can change color they got like different modes i've got like a candy blade mode and all this um but it doesn't show that well on the camera i was showing dan before we started the podcast and i was like well i can kind of see the rainbow and it doesn't show very well but they're awesome Plus, two if if you did that, then it would give me an opportunity to bring up Star Wars CCG on yet another podcast, and we we don't need that. We oh, have okay. enough of that. Okay. <laughs> um, so I want to I want to talk a little bit about um, a couple other games that uh, have been kind of cropping up here a little bit. So, and Mike, actually, now that I think about this, I think you're one of the few people who I haven't gotten to demo Grand Archive for yet. Is that that's correct? Oh, you have not. Yeah, interesting. I demoed it for a number of people at Gen Con. Um, I actually just got back from a local con up here called Valley Con, where I spent the day yesterday doing some Grand Archive uh, demos, just showing people. And um, we we posted a video on YouTube also, if you haven't checked it out, uh, talking about... Um, so I think one of the big pieces of news uh, in that I, I think will actually resonate a little bit more outside of... even So you have no idea what Grand Archive is. This You might see the impact of this down the line a little bit, but... They announced that um, next year, uh, their their first major tournament, it's called Ascent Houston. It'll be in Houston, Texas, obviously. Um, so this is an event that will have uh, two, basically two equal halves to it. One there, One's called the Path to Silver, and one's called the Path, or the Path of Silver, and one's called the Path of Iron. Um or Path of Steel. Sorry, Path of Steel, Path of Silver. That's what it is. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe that's that's the two names. Um, Path of Steel is the uh, competitive tournament, right? You play the game, you beat each other up, and then uh, not physically, but then then uh, then you know you see who is the best, and you win. Um, the Path of Silver is, and again, this isn't a side event. This is a this is like a just imagine split down the middle, right? This is one half Path of Steel, one half Path of Silver. The Path of Silver is a competitive collectors event so i'm letting that sink in for a second there that's it's this is where you are going to collect competitively with other players uh-huh yeah that's the right face mike <laughs> all right all right i'm 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 intrigued I, I like how they're pulling the collector market into the okay yeah how does this work so here's how it works a few months before the event they're going to release basically a big spreadsheet online it's going to take every card in the game including non-foil version foil version collector rare version whatever each one's going to have a row on the spreadsheet and they're all going to have um three attributes it's not listed on the card it's listed on the sheet which means it can be adjusted over over time for future events or something and each of these um, attributes are valor grace and charm and they have a rating on them and then a total score for the card and so, you know, you can take a, a random card and it has like 50 Valor, 200 Grace, 150 Charm or something, you know, some random numbers. And then the foil version has higher numbers of those. And the collector rare version of the card has even higher numbers. Okay. okay. So, so every card in your collection basically has these attributes that aren't on the card, but they're listed in this little spreadsheet. Um, when you go to the Path of Silver event, uh, and uh, and again, this is all like subject to potential change or anything. This is just the announced structure. The event is a year away at least probably. So um, when you go to the event, then uh, you sign up for the Path of Silver. It's a two-day event. Day one is a uh, preparation day. So during this day, you go and um, you can trade with other people. You can go to vendors and buy cards, add things to your collection. You take a look at this sheet 
Um, and you also get a access to a new document um, on that day, so not before that day, on that day, that is, uh, if you're familiar with any Diablo, MMORPGs, anything like this, where they use set bonuses, the idea is you collect like a set of armor. If you have each one, then you get a big bonus, right? It's the idea. So they basically release these this list of set bonuses for having different sets of cards. So for example, um, cards related to Lorraine, who's like the main warrior character, or cards with butterflies in the art, or, um, you know, just like, uh, you know, cards with horses on them or something, you know, they could have like any, any sorts of like a huge range of tons and tons and tons of these different set bonuses. Your goal then is to take that list. And those, by the way, those set bonuses are huge numbers compared to what the individual cards are. The individual cards are worth a chunk, but the idea is that the set bonuses should account for about 80% of your total score. Oh, wow. Okay. So the idea is then you get this list of, of all these sets and you have your collection and you have the ability to go trade with others, buy other cards, and you need to come up with a 50 card set of, of your own cards. Um, and then you fill out this thing and you you indicate you can each only use a, a card in a single set. So you can't use it across multiple sets. Okay. Um, so, for example, if, if Lorraine level two is on three different sets, you have to pick which one you think you're going to be able to get the most points uh, out of using her in that one. Um, and then you might have to go for some different sets instead. Um, and your goal is to basically just optimize this 50 card collection of yours to be worth the most points possible. On day two, then you submit it and you say, here's, here's my collection. And then everyone gets, uh, you know, they just kind of rank everything. Um, the highest total score collection is going to win the first place prize. And they're going to have prizes through first through eighth for a total score. Um, and then if you get above certain thresholds, you are going to, so you like, you don't even have to be in the top. You just have to get above, like above 50,000 points, above a hundred thousand points, whatever you get a play mat, you get a promo, you get all that stuff just for basically the, the, you did well at collecting <laughs> kind of oh, bonus. Yeah. Right. Um, but, and the, and the big, the big thing people say hearing this is like, well, okay, that sounds like whales are just going to win. Right. They just, they bought all the foils and they're just going to go submit the collections and win. Um, and I, I think there's a degree of that. Um, for sure. Like, but at the same, you know, it's collecting like whales always yeah. went collecting, whether there's a prize associated with it. It's like, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to beat Elon Musk. If he wants to collect my hero academia, he'll have everything. And I, I will not. Um, that's no, I like that. I like that kind of treasure hunt aspect. The one thing that, what my opinion, what they could do to like stop the whale thing where people like are kind of doing the whole hoarding stuff is what they could do is they're set, they're releasing the list when they say one to two months before the event for the individual cards, but not the set bonuses. Okay. Um, what I would do is do it like three days before the event. <laughs> yeah. And then that encourages, cause then what's going to happen, you know, cause they're not going to have time to optimize because you know there's going to be the people that are going to go in that Excel document and go, okay, optimize and do the math and do, 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 do. Sure. You do it like two, three days before the event or even just the day of the event. Now you got people, you want to talk about people interacting with each other. Like, okay, do you have this? Do you have this? I need this so I can get this set bonus and this set bonus. And I have this, this, this. And this. That would be a lot of fun. Like, I'll tell you, that would be like, 
ultimate people just interacting and 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 i think that would bring in the collectors and then what's really cool is then when you give out the prizing you can give out you don't necessarily got to give out like a card like an overpowered card because these are collectors right no 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 you give out a super collectible card oh mike you haven't let me finish (laughs) oh okay oh oh, okay all right go for it go for it i'm ahead of myself okay go ahead so, um, first of all, the, the trading thing you're talking about on the day is going to happen because the set bonuses are such a big chunk of, of the value that um, there's going to be, like, foil commons that are, like, draft chaff, you know, cards that you just don't really care about outside of, like, limited play or something that are involved in some, like, giant set bonuses that, like, suddenly everyone's like, oh, man, I need a foil trusty steed or whatever. Um, I think that's brilliant because the the vendors can go there and be like, like bring all the foils like we're and then and they wait to see the set bonuses and then they start like marking things like okay hang on hang on we need to like price this a little higher or something which you know like is a shame for the the players the collectors in this case i guess but um having a healthy vending market's really important for a card game um and and what this is going to do is make it so that you can't just say like well this foil is garbage i'm not no no one's ever going to need this any foil you open now is like I got to hold on to this. Like this might be really valuable when Ascent Houston happens or something. Um, yeah. I really like the idea because I mean, you get like, again, and we kind of talked this uh, over in a uh, previous podcast where we talked about like, there's different type of players in a game where a lot of people are like, okay, Hey, my locals are dying. That means uh, the game's dying. And it's like, no, 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 no. There's collectors. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's bringing in collectors to like those con type events and it's like okay now they can get special collectible cards and they're interacting with the players and you can turn those collectors into players now because now they're like oh wow you know look at this big event they're having and i got all these cards and might as well learn how to play so right um, you're you're opening the door for for everyone to participate you know it's i i really like the inclusivity involved in this um the other element of this that i haven't really gotten to touch on yet is that uh it's not just going to be a top score wins um in addition to the top score winning you know and and by the way you mentioned collectible prizes serialized special collector promo rares are are yep. what you're getting of cards that already exist um they they don't do in grand archives not doing unique card rewards um but they're doing full art alternate art serialized versions of these cards so the first place gets number one card you know um printed on there um those first of all before anyone asks also um they've already said that promo cards are not going to be used in the collection event in in the collector events which means that you can't snowball be like well i won ascent houston last year so i have this card that's worth more points than anybody in the world right because then then they would just always be able to win every year as long as they just bought the the enough collection um but the the other side of things is that uh to kind of make it so that it's not just the people who have the biggest collection the biggest score that wins um and you know because that would make it so that there's one optimized list right if you can if you sat there for long enough you could figure out this is the list of cards worth the most points period um so those three attributes I mentioned, Valor, Grace, and Charm, they are also top eighting people for the top the top eight players in each category get special prizes as well. In those cases, they get the promo card, but it's stamped with Valor, Grace, or Charm, indicating which one that they topped in that year. Um, I, yeah. So 
That's really cool because that means you can sit down and be like, you know what? I, I don't have the collection to compete with the top eight. I'll try, but I don't think I can. But instead, I'm going to optimize my list for Valor. I'm going to try and get in the top eight for Valor instead. And players have to, all all the players, I always, I'm so used to saying players, all the collectors in the competition then have to decide. Um, you know, when they sit down and they go, okay, do I think I can optimize my list for top, for, for, for the top eight, pure top eight? Or which of these attributes do I think I can best optimize my list for in order to increase my odds of com- coming a- away with something, you know? Um, yeah. and, and that's actually like, you, the reason we love playing card games is the decisions that you have to make throughout the game, right? And, and proving yourself to make, make better decisions than other people. This is like a fascinating kind of big, it's like a macro decision. It's like one decision you have to make going right into the event, but it's like, it still is injecting a little bit of that into collecting. Um, yeah. But not in the same way where I think like a collector would be put off of like a lot of collectors who you try to teach a game just like, I don't really care about this. I don't like playing the game. Um, but it's a decision they might still like to make, you know, and, and be interested in. Well, not to mention they're going to want to go into this anyway because they're going to get more collectible cards. I mean, that, that's the key thing. I mm-hmm. mean, the collector is going to be intrigued by this because they're like, oh, wow. So I'm expanding my collection, and then if I have the, you know, the bigger collection or the top eight, or then I even get more cards. Um, yeah, I like it. And then again, you're you're tying that collector's market into like, hey, this is a game too. They could see people playing the game, and then they're going to be a lot more like, okay, hey, let me try playing the game as well. Yeah, I I, I like it. I think it's a really really good idea. Yeah, really good. Idea. I think it's really interesting. I, you know, I think they, they may have to iterate on it a little bit as we we'll see like what the what the whaling is like for the game. Um, Grand Archive has a very low foil drop rate um, compared to other games. In a lot of games, you get a foil in every pack. In Grand Archive, you get a foil in every eight packs. Um, uh, so you're telling me if I play that game, I'm gonna go broke. Is what you're saying? Because I'm one of yeah, guilty. I'm one of those players. I want every one of my cards in my deck to be foiled. I- it's going to be really expensive in Grand Archive. But but one thing that they're doing that's really interesting is um, the... So they're, they're doing, like, promo packs for playing in tournaments. Um, you know, event sure. packs, I should say. However, what they're doing with their event packs is um, there's, a, there are, there's a chance to get, like, a special collector, you know, full art card that's only in those event packs. But otherwise, those event packs just come with foils from the set oh uh, nice okay so, so it's it's like you're getting you know eight to 16 packs or whatever worth of foils when you win an event or something um I which like that. yeah I, I think that's really cool and given what they're doing to you know i, I think this collector this collector path of silver event will sort of you know really establish that these foils should have hold some amount of value no matter which card they are and i think that all bodes pretty well as like a nice a nice ecosystem within their game so excited to see how it pans out for sure and i also think that you're going to see this i think if this does well you're going to see other games starting to adopt ideas like this um yeah I don't know if you see it at the same scale. Like they're really going for it, right? They're like this is exactly the same value as our our competitive tournament. Um, but I think you'll see other games start to take notice of this if it if it's if it performs well, if it if the media is out there covering it and everything, you'll see games that are especially ones with good collector markets um yeah. starting to say, you know, maybe we should get people to go to an event for the for collecting if they if they like this game. 
Yeah, because that's the thing. You got a lot of these uh, games that have humongous collectors markets, and and maybe there's bad marketing, or not going to get into any games in particular, but <clears throat> where you got to bridge that gap between collecting and playing. And this is like I like the way that they're getting the collectors to come to the event. They're getting something special. Um, and then you're also getting players who maybe normally, I mean, <clears throat> there's the uh, vice versa of this too, is you're getting players that normally wouldn't be collecting now may want to collect. Yeah, might get the bug from it. I'm not even sure which I'm going to play. And when I go to Ascend, I, I might I might actually just do the Path of Silver because it sounds so fascinating to me. <laughs> I, I just kind of want to try it out. You don't have both events going on at the same time though, right? Like, They're the same, be- they are the same time. Oh, no, no, don't know. Otherwise, it'd be a four-day event. Um, yeah, you know. So they're, they're trying to do a weekend, right? And that's the idea is, like, you you kind of pick which one you're going to do. Um, it might be possible to, like, play in the event and then, like, depending on how you do, you know, in the competitive event, maybe you, like, X2, X3 or something and go, I'm just going to drop out. I'm going to hop in the collector one or something. It may be possible. I'm not sure. Um. But it's fascinating either way. And I think an interesting segue too, to um, why don't why don't we talk about our our main topic today, which is the potential of the recently announced Disney Lorcana. So um, I'm, I'm going to just lead this in with a little bit of baseline information because not everybody uh, really knows exactly what's going on here. Um, and uh, <laughs> hang on, I was going to pull up like a. I was going to pull up a document, but uh, my mouse is dead now. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going to rely on my memory instead. Let's <laughs> let's do that instead. Um, so Disney's Lorcana was announced. Um, oh, I don't know. Maybe it was like a, a month ago now, maybe a little more. Um, Disney's Lorcana is a TCG coming next year, actually um, about a year away when we post this. I'm not sure if it's over or under slightly, but it's supposed to be quarter three, quarter four next year, I think um 2023 in case you're watching this in 2030 and you're like what it's coming out soon (laughs) um not that i really call that soon either um it's 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 a ways away um but it's a game it's a tcg full tcg being announced um being you know completely backed by disney and uh ravensburger is the publisher um not a publisher a lot of people are familiar with if you're only in the tcg space but if you're in the board game space they're a uh they're a board game publisher for a very long time and puzzles too actually maybe you've maybe you've had a ravensburger puzzle and you didn't even realize it um so they they have a lot of experience you know in publishing board games um but n- i don't think uh, there's a single tcg in their backlog um in their history so um it's an interesting collaboration um between the two of them um it does mean that the ravensburger will at least know some things about logistics of tabletop games um, but, uh, I think it'll be, we'll have to see how they do with like TCGs are sort of different than board games, um, and how they're supported and managed. Um, so just to kind of lay the groundwork here, Lorcana, we don't know the rules straight up. We, we don't know how it plays. Um, we've seen seven cards. Uh, those cards cover a gamut of basic Disney characters, Mickey Mouse, um, Stitch, Cruella DeVille, uh, Dragon from like something black cauldron or some something like that i don't know some dragon some dragon from somewhere (laughs) don't even know um elsa and uh someone else yeah i don't know you got mickey mouse because that's that's the one that yes 
Chrome and the yeah, that's the one that's going down. So so we had this um oh Robin Hood. I remember now. Robin Hood was the other one. Um the uh, the Fox Robin Hood, right? From the Disney's Robin Hood. So um they showed those promos. We can look at the promos, we can see um they've mentioned by the way they're they're they were released a D D uh, 23, the Disney Expo that took place um, a few few weeks back, um, and they've announced that those are just early print versions of the cards with like the D23 stamp. They will be in the main the first set uh, when it releases. So these are not exclusive promos that you have to get right now, which is good because they are going for excessive prices, absolutely crazy prices for these things. The set of foil cards, um, whether or not it includes Mickey, is going for thousands of dollars. Um, and then the Mickey Brave Little Taylor promo that was handed out at the booth um, goes for hundreds on its own. Um, yeah. So it, it's pretty crazy. Based on what we can see on the promos, we can see that the game is a lot has a lot of uh, DNA with magic style games. Um, it has it has characters who will uh, instead of attacking, it looks like they challenge each other. Um, they can be banished from a challenge. So it's like dying, they, but, but it's, you know, all very Disney family friendly kind of stuff. Uh, mechanics like evasive, which is they can't be, they, they can only be challenged by other units with evasive. So it's like flying basically. Um, they have exert effects, which have the, like almost identical tap symbol to magic. Um, almost can't be exactly identical, but it's almost identical. That um, so like Elsa, you can exert her to exert another character. Um, so you know, it, it looks like they have power and toughness effectively, like a challenge power and some kind of value that needs to be beaten to have them be banished in a challenge or something. So we we can expect a lot of like kind of this play dudes and attack style gameplay um, that we see in uh, in a lot of games like that. So um, with that all kind of laid out, the last thing I want to mention is that Ravensburger, and this will be kind of a, a point we're going to talk about a little bit, is that Ravensburger did say that um, Magic and chess and whatever examples of competitive games, uh, Lorcana is certainly not a cooperative game, but they're they're going for a lower level of direct competition with your opponent in this game. And um, I think that fits with what you'd expect from a Disney-themed game also like this. Yeah. Um, so with all that laid out, Mike, Mike, when you saw Lorcana, when you read all this stuff, what were your thoughts? My first impression of seeing Lorcana, seeing the cards, uh, like the first thing that came to my mind was the collectability of the game. Um, because you got to kind of look at all the properties that Disney owns. Um, and I don't know many of you, I don't know if you're subscribed to Disney Plus, guilty. I am subscribed to Disney Plus. Look at what Disney owns. I mean, they own Star Wars. They own Marvel. Um, I'm hoping that they use some Kingdom Hearts characters. I'm a big Kingdom Hearts guy. Like, that, you know, with Sora and Riku. And, which I know that's like a partnership with Square. <clears throat> but I'm looking at, when I see this card game, I'm looking at the potential of it. And almost kind of... Um, uh, I want to say uh, Metacross, Meta X, Metacross, yeah, yeah right here. <laughs> kind of, yeah, like how they had the whole, like they had the different, you know, franchises going. Like that was kind of the potential of the different franchises going against each other. I could see this with Lorcan. Like I could see it where, you know, Darth Vader can take on Iron Man, and I think that is just going to be epic. 
and then again the collectability of the cards i mean look you know i i collect star wars stuff you know i collect marvel stuff i mean that's just going to be more than i'm going to want to collect and that that's where i see the game going as i could see them the different quote-unquote disney franchises going at it um and uh i think um didn't disney buy out fox disney owns that's why we were able to see like the spider-man movie that's why we were able to see all the spider-mans disney's bought out like um uh fox yeah 20th right? century they, fox um yeah so they own they own the simpsons right like yes my, my, i believe simpsons are on disney plus now i think right i mean i think maybe i made that up but. right i mean but okay yeah i know i haven't checked yeah I'll be honest the simpsons um after season like 10 that's a totally different discussion after season 10 that like it no yeah i get you but, yeah so you're telling me homer could go against you know Darth vader or like i just i i that's where i see the potential with this game is all the franchises that disney owns and the potential of what they could turn into the game yeah i let's 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 talk about that a little bit because I, I'm with you for sure. The potential of the franchises is great. The, I it'll be interesting to see what they what they do put into it and what they can put into it. Um, yeah. And you know, you'd think. I, I mean, I, I think you'd think right away. Well, anything Disney touches is gonna work, right? And at the end of the day, it depends on basically like the caveat to everything I'm gonna say here is we're talking about Disney. This is this is no longer talking about um, Jasco games or talking about. Uh, honestly, even Bandai to a degree, like these, these companies that are, you know, from somewhere between small to, to large Disney is a different company compared to any of those. Disney can effectively do what they want to. Um, they, you know, there, there's, there isn't anything really in their way because they have the capital to weigh against anything that would be a, a problem for them. Um, so Everything I say here, take that with a grain of salt. I can be proven wrong because Disney can just wave the magic Mickey wand of cash or whatever and make everything go away um, if they need to. But uh, there are a couple of hurdles um, for some of the properties that they have to overcome. You mentioned Kingdom Hearts. I think that's a that's a big one because big one because where we saw yeah. we, we saw um sora make it into super smash bros which apparently was also a sort of a herculean feat um yep. but i i think i don't think disney's credited uh in super smash bros i think it's just square enix that's credited for that i think that's a good so i'm not i'm not actually sure who owns and someone someone in the comments let, let us know in the comments here if uh, if you're watching the youtube version or whatever let us know if you know, like, the specific, like, who owns Sora and Kingdom Hearts and everything. I think it's Square Enix, though. And if you're talking about Square Enix, then you're talking about Final Fantasy TCG, which they publish. Um, I assume that because of this complex relationship of Kingdom Hearts and Disney and, and everything, that there's a reason that we're, what are we, 18 sets into Final Fantasy or something around there? And um, and we haven't seen a Kingdom Hearts character pop up yet. I would assume there's a reason for that then. Um, yeah. Licensing just gets complicated, right? There's there's all sorts of entities involved and, and legal rights and uh, and everything. Um, 
I th- agree that if they could do that, that would be really cool. Obviously, like you know, I'm yeah. I'm all for game. I like crossover games. I like games when they just get to throw like all sorts of stuff in and and go wild and everything. Um, but uh, it it will be it will be interesting to see what they have access to now. When you talk about Star Wars, um, I I think I think they're going to hold off on stuff like that because of how different it is than than the traditional Disney stuff. I, I, I think, I think they're going to hold off a little bit at least. Um, because what we saw, I, I mean, okay. If they wanted to blow everyone's minds at D 23, that wouldn't have had a dragon from some, I don't even remember which one it's from or like Robin hood or something that would have been like Mickey, Iron Man, Darth Vader, you know, like whatever they would have just like gone down the list and been like, here's the next game coming up. It's got everything you love. No, if you love anything Disney, it's in here. They would have done that, right? I think. Um, I think instead they're starting off with here's Disney, right? And and when I say Disney, I don't mean what Disney owns. I mean here is the Disney that if you're a, if you've if you've always thought yourself as a Disney fan, you love Mickey Mouse, you love um, you love Aladdin, you love Lion King, you love what you like Frozen, you you know all this stuff. And I think we're going to see initially the push is focused on those. And when what that gives them the option to do is then a couple sets down, they go Lorcana set four, set three, whatever. Uh, the empire rises or something and boom back into public uh, with a giant announcement. Lorcana adds star Wars. Um, I think I think that's I, I think I just think if they were doing it set one, you would have seen that um, at D23. Many, I mean, have you ever heard of Disney? Uh, I think they call it Disney Infinity. Yep. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the little figurines mm-hmm. like they were cap they were capitalizing on the whole. Um, toys uh, to life. Yeah. Toys to life. Mm-hmm. The, the whole Skylanders thing, how the Skylanders had the figures. Yep. I think they're going in. I think they're going in that direction. I think you're going to start seeing because um, they've already tested that, and mm-hmm. it, it was successful. Like it was successful. I mean, the toy to life thing. Obviously, people like hey, I buy a video game. I shouldn't have to buy all these little figurines. Like you know, even Nintendo cashed in on that with the amiibos and all that other stuff. I think they're going to eventually go that direction. When you look at the cards. Like, I know, like, when I was looking at the cards and you were saying the card designs, how they were using very kid-friendly words. It's like, you're not killing this guy. You're, uh, like, Pokemon, kind of the same thing with Pokemon. Like, you're not killing the Pokemon. You're knocking it out. Right. You're banishing this game. You're banishing it. Like, so I can see, you know, the, the thing that goes through my mind is, okay, could they add, is there a kid-friendly Star Wars out there? Well, Absolutely, there's mm-hmm. kid-friendly Star Wars out there. There's kid-friendly Marvel out there. I mean, look at all the the Marvel cartoon shows and stuff like that. I can see, I I I potentially see that direction even as early as first set, like even as early as first set that I could see them putting in like little Easter eggs and stuff like that. I think right now when they made this announcement, it was kind of more of like a feeler, like hey, what. What do y'all think about this card game? Like Disney making a card game. And obviously the collectors were just like, oh, yum, 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 and ate it right up. I mean, look at how much the cards are going for. You know, I'm not worried about the collector market. 
uh, like I'll tell you right now, collect a mortgage. That no problem. Um, especially if the cards are well designed. I mean, if they, you know, the artwork and Disney owns everything. They own the artwork. They own everything. So you know these cards hopefully are looking just as cool as like Dragon Ball Super Cards or Grand Archive. Like hopefully they look just as cool as those. What I'm concerned about <clears throat> is the gameplay. Because like you said, we have this new publisher that has never, ever, ever, ever done a trading card game. Um, hopefully the gameplay is not... Uh, trying to look for a, 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 like a, a, a like an appropriate word dull yeah i guess interactive well like i want to talk about that with you i want to i want to throw one thing out just on the on the subject quick of um of the ips and everything involved we have ravensburger the this publisher has has uh, already done a series of disney themed board games we kind of have a roadmap for how they did that. And it's, and, and see, I think this is just one, one thing that leans towards this likelihood of it starting Disney and then moving later. But they started, if you're familiar with the villainous board game published by Ravensburger became a pretty popular board game. It was sold in mass market. Um, and, and did very well. Um, as it's a fun game, by the way, I played a little bit. Um, you take the role of a villain and you are trying to achieve your villainous goals um, and everyone else can kind of stop you with, uh, some cards that represent like the heroes that are like trying to achieve, you know, the, it, plot points of the story and everything. And, and the heroes coming in and kind of screwing with your plan. So started off with Disney villains. Then they, they introduced like, I think three, two or three expansions afterwards that were all just Disney villain, Disney villain, Disney villain. And then at Gen Con last year, they released star Wars villainous, um, which was one of the hottest games of the con. Um, and introduces Darth Vader, Kylo Ren, you know, whoever, you know, all the, all these star Wars villains. Um, and you can play that version instead. And, and I think, I just feel like if they're going to go that route, um, where they're going to start introducing things like Marvel and, and Star Wars. And by the way, Marvel a little more complicated because there are some board game rights to Marvel that are being used and you never, it's always tricky to know whether or not like there's something people don't realize in the industry is that we have, you have card games and you have board games. And I, I mean that like they're distinct from a licensing standpoint. Sometimes it always depends on how the licenses are, are effectively written when they're being, the contracts are being filled out and everything. But we've had times when uh, there was one publisher releasing star Wars board games. They can involve cards, but they're board games. And then there's another publisher releasing star Wars card games. They can involve dice and board game components and stuff, but they're card games, right? Um, similarly, there's a regional thing. Uh, where we've had cases where there were companies that could release a license in Japan as a as a card game. For example, Weisschwartz or Weisschwartz or whatever you want to call it um, has uh, it's a game where you tip started as you play your favorite anime against your opponent's favorite anime and you, you battle out and see who's got the better anime or whatever. Um, we talk we bring this up like every podcast too. It's just a, it relates to everything really. Um, in Japan, there is a Star Wars. Weisschwartz set. There is a Marvel Weisschwartz set. And there is a Pixar Weisschwartz set. There's there's no English version of those. Interesting. 
Um, and, and it's interesting what that will mean because it, it may mean there's, see, the reason that there isn't an English version you would think is because, well, that must be a regionally exclusive thing or something, or is it related to preparations for Lorcana in the background? I'm not sure. Um, what, you know, it's tough to say how that will impact Lorcana's ability to publish things. Um, and at the, finally, last thing is that there's a timing thing too. I can say having, you know, from when we were developing Metacross, we released an Attack on Titan set. I think Starter Decks back here for the people in the um, YouTube version here. Um, we released that Attack on Titan set for Metacross um, maybe less than a year, I think, after the Weisschwartz Attack on Titan set. Um, and then after we were done, Weisschwartz released more Attack on Titan sets. It just like the rights kind of traded hands a little bit. Um, I don't know the details of how the like actual agreement worked or whatever, but... There are a number of different elements that um, can affect what can be released. Disney can probably plow through whatever they want to. It doesn't really matter that much, but um, it'll be interesting to see kind of just how how that plays out. Yeah, I was actually having a discussion with a few people when it came to licensing, and they were just, I simply don't get it. And I was like, well, let me put this in real simple terms for you. Um, I know, like, I've read this really, and this is just a really quick article that I've read, but it was hilarious, because this guy comes into town, and he opens up a sandwich shop, and he's like, okay, uh, and he had a contract that says, you cannot build a sandwich shop within a block. You cannot build a sandwich shop within a block. Well, somebody comes into town, and they built a hot dog stand, and they said, nope, that's a sandwich. Well, is a hot dog a sandwich? I mean, it's between two pieces of bread, essentially. So is that considered? I mean, and it's the same thing when it comes to these card games, when it comes to card games and board games. They're, they enter, like, is a card game also a board game? Or is a board game also kind of a card game in and of itself? If they're releasing expansions and all this other stuff. Look at Boss Monster, one of my favorite games that I love to play. Like, is that a board game or is that a card game? They release expansions and and everything else. So you got that really fine contract legalese. Just, yeah, it can really mess things up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of this potential, I mean, like I said, Disney will just go through whatever they need to, to, to yeah. make the most money possible. That's not out of character for Disney. <laughs> so, um, well, you know, we'll see kind of how it pans out, but currently, you know, I would, th that's, that's another reason though, why I would guess just because of dealing with the legal issues of, of it all that your first set, I think you're going to see Mickey Mouse and friends, you know, and, and you're going to see basic Disney stuff. But, but I think, I think you're totally right, Mike, that, um, the potential there to see Marvel, to see Star Wars, to see, I don't know, really other really weird, potentially Disney stuff, um, that that's whatever's under their umbrella with 20th, 20th century Fox or whatever. Um, the potential is there for sure. So let's, let's talk about what you were, you were bringing up the, um, gameplay and everything, right? Yeah. Um, so for me, as someone who just really gets into, as I was saying earlier, the decision-making and, and just kind of the, the thought processes of actually playing trading card games. Um, my, I, I, I have a little bit of trepidation, about about how the gameplay is going to work out. By the way, I think Lorcan is going to go nuts. I think it's going to be a very popular game. I don't know if it's going to be good, but <laughs> it'll be popular. 
Um, and it could be great, right? But the problem is we just don't know. We just don't have... All I can do is I can look at these cards and go, those, they're magic-like effects, you know? Um, and it's like, it, it could be could be fine, could be fun to play, or it also could be just like, like you said, dull. They're gonna... The thing is, is they're gonna have to make the game because it's, it sounds like they're gearing it they want kids to play this based upon the language. Like, I mean, based upon the language, the terms are using, they want kids to play this. They're going to have to, and really the game they're really going to want to look at is Pokemon because mm-hmm. Pokemon is one of those easy to learn, hard to master. Like I could teach, I, I mean, I, I haven't played Pokemon in what, uh, like seven or 10 years. I could pick up a Pokemon deck and play it. I mean, it's really easy to learn, but it's hard to master. And I think that's the challenge they're going to have with this game. They're going to have to make it, like, you know, super easy for any, you know, I could, you know, teach a kid how to play in five minutes. But it's got to be one of those where there's that interaction, there's that challenge, there's that next level deck building. Like, okay, do I combo Mickey with Donald and Goofy and have the three musketeers and just go in and own everything. <laughs> I want the artwork for that really bad, but, or are we going to have like uh Pinocchio partner up with Geppetto uh, and uh, like, they're going to do some really awesome effect or, you know, they're, they're going to have to, it's, that's going to be the challenge. That's going to be the ultimate challenge is can they make a game? easy to learn hard to master kids can pick up but also engaging for older audiences um you know teenagers adults that can pick up there's that deck building strategy there's that next level thinking um that's going to be the challenge and i'm wondering we'll, we'll see if they're up to it we'll, we'll, we'll see if they're up to it i'm glad you brought up the pokemon comparison because that was exactly what i thought about with this section in the article that i unfortunately can't look at because of my mouse <laughs> but uh, oh man the mouse struck us again <laughs> um, first it was mickey mouse now it's my mouse um so uh yeah in that section they talk about how they they want the game to to feature a lower level of of direct competitiveness with your opponent and and I immediately thought about Pokemon when when um, I read that. Not necessarily from I, I really like your perspective on just like getting kids into the game for sure, but just yeah. this idea that um, they they have a line in the article that says something about how we want people to have fun with their characters in every game, um, and that's something that I think in the general design of Pokemon that you see quite a bit. It's the the idea that like your deck should be able to kind of, you should be able to play with your Pokemon and do do the things your Pokemon do, whether you win or lose the game. You know, that's not necessarily the, the it's, it, and it's different, it's different in some very competitive games. And the best example, like Magic has toned this down, in fact, over years, the last, the last, uh, man, I don't even know how, like 10, 12, 15 years, Magic has been actively working to, be more Pokemon like in this respect. The uh, the if you go back and this is why you get a lot of people who are old school Magic players would be like Magic's so different now. They're not wrong. Um, Magic is very different now, uh, and that's because back in the day, effects that directly discarded cards from your opponent's hand, destroyed their lands, um, countered their spells, all those kinds of effects were costed much more efficiently. 
um, and printed much more commonly. And the game back then was a lot more, um, there were, there were more strategies in tournaments that were a lot more cutthroat. Um, and the idea is that like, well, I'm going to stop you from doing your stuff and then I'm going to win the game. It's still a thing you can do in the game, which is, thank goodness, because that's what people appreciate about magic. That's why magic players tend to continue to like playing magic is they tend to like that style of gameplay, um, being, being, whether they like to play or not, they like it being something they can fight against or fight with, um, but they've had to actively tone it down a little bit because the new player experience or in another perspective, the young player experience um, who for the players who can't think on the strategic level where they can think, wow, that was a that was a good deck, but I need to figure out how to beat it. Instead, they'll they'll get beaten by something like that and go, I didn't even get to play the game. This game sucks. I hate this game. Um, and and that definitely sounds like something that Lorcana is going to be trying to imitate um, in the way like Pokemon does that too, where Pokemon's cards, you get to draw, uh, name a number. You get to draw that many cards when you play Pokemon. Yeah. I've been playing, and, and I'm not like I, even from the outside anymore. I've been playing Pokemon every week on our live stream, which I'm going to shamelessly plug here, twitch.tv slash main deck games, um, streaming Pokemon tonight even as we're recording this. Um, it's a game where you're just, you, you get to do your thing. I can go through my deck in a couple of turns if I build my deck that way, if I want to. Um, my whole deck, I can see everything if I want to. I, there's The only thing that'll stop me from doing what I want to do is really, really, really bad luck, <laughs> right? Um, and sometimes the game comes down to then, you know, whose deck in this matchup is seeing the right things at the right time? Or, or how much effort do I have to put into setting up compared to my opponent, which is a sort of a luck a luck question sometimes too. Um, and then who who came up with the better, um, you know, the better route to victory given our individual strategies? Um, and and I, I really think if Lorcan is smart, and it sounds like they're going to be, they're going to go down that route where they're going to make sure that your deck gets to, if you're playing the Mouseketeers deck, Mike, you get to, you get to have them out and you get to do the thing. You're not necessarily going to win the game every time, but you get to do it. Well, yeah. Um, I think there's going to, the other thing they got to be kind of like with Disney that when they're building the game is there's going to be like an attachment to certain characters. Mm. Like there's some games that you play where they're like, okay, I'm going to play this character, right? Like this is my favorite character. I'm going to play this character. So they're they're gonna have kind of the challenge of, you know, you're you're gonna like the balancing issue type thing. I mean, you know, people are like, I know I'm I'm I don't care how bad or good I'm playing the three musketeers on the three assuming they're coming out with the three musketeers i'm playing the three musketeers i'm gonna play mickey donald and goofy so 100 i think that's gonna be a challenge too is they're gonna have to because you're gonna have frozen fans you're gonna have frozen fans i can pick up the second one. yep i'm playing else don't care playing else. yeah it doesn't look like the kind of game where um the, the kind of games that are really good for that are the ones like like my hero like dragon ball super where you get to pick your leader character and you're playing like sort of as that character when you play it doesn't look like it's that kind of game so um but i totally agree with you too that that i think it's i think it's important for this for the disney fandom to be able to be like i want to build a frozen theme deck i want to build a lilo and stitch theme deck um yep. and and will that be possible i i hope so 
Yeah, I'm hoping there's going to be some combo-ish type. Like, and I'm a fan of that. Like, if you have this, this, and this out, you get some bigger effect. Yeah. Like if you partner these characters with these characters, you know, you're going to get some bigger effect. I mean, you know, granted, you do want to have gameplay where you're interacting with, okay, hey, Mickey can partner with Robin Hood, for example, you know, or Mickey could partner with, uh, um, oh, I can't I think of her name, the villain from Snow White. Uh, Maleficent. Male Maleficent. There we go. Ma and then I can't, because she's like a main villain in Kingdom Hearts, and I just blanked out. <laughs> yeah, keep partnering with Maleficent. That would be just, like, I, I do want to see that too. But yeah, I do want, you know, kind of the, that, that again, that's going to be the biggest challenge for gameplay is because you're going to have, you know, older audiences like myself, like we're already kind of, you know, yep, I want to do this, 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 and then you just got the younger audience who may not be thinking that same way. They're just like, Oh, I want to play. I want to play my favorite frozen character. So I'm going to pick up an Elsa starter deck or whatever. And whatever it does, it does. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see the, the thing I want to bring about a Ravensburger specifically is that like, Ravensburger is a great board game company. You know, they've, they've been publishing board games for many, many, many years. They have some of the, they've published some of the biggest games in, in, um, uh castles castles of burgundy i think was a ravensburger one that's that's one of the bigger hobby board games if you've been in the board game space for a long time you've heard of that game um but every time we've seen a board game publisher come into the tcg space it it just they've never really been able to click right we've seen it happen the most with fantasy flight games um they were the ones who who probably did the best but they still have never had a long-lasting TCG. Now, they didn't have the the full weight of Disney behind them. This, from everything we've seen from Lorcana, this is very much a Disney sought this out kind of situation. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but that seems to be the case from from the way everything's been pushed for it. Yeah. Um, and that is very different than Fantasy Flight saying, "Hey, let's buy the license to Star Wars and make a game." Um, and then, and then Disney or whoever owned it at when, at whichever stage we're talking about here just went, okay, yeah, like sure pay us. And then here you go. Um, cause they're not really necessarily as invested in how it does as, as fantasy flight is. Um, whereas when, when the IP holder is invested in it as a marketing, as a marketing tool for the rest of their everything that they make, um, I think you see more capital and I think you see more marketing and I think you see more just kind of everything working in the advantage of the game. And to, to its credit so far, Lorcana is a year away. And um, I have seen something that I haven't seen in any of the other recently announced TCGs on the same scale, which is many, many content creators jumping in a year out, having no idea what the rules are, making podcasts, making YouTube channels, doing weekly or more frequent videos about pure speculation because there's nothing else to talk about for Lorcana. Once you, you cover the promos and then you just go top 10, uh, aliens that we're going to see. Actually, that's literally one I just saw, um, this, uh, channel, a little channel that just started called the Lumineers, which I guess, shout out to them. Check them out. If you're interested in Lorcana, um, I watched 10 seconds of their video. <laughs> Maybe they're good. They seem cool. Um, but yeah, all they can do is like cover, these are the top 
you know, whatever things that we want to see in the game in a year. Um, and as silly and, and like, you know, as, as that feels to me to be like, well, there's nothing to talk about, but I guess we'll just make content anyway. Um, at the same time, it shows the massive amount of excitement uh, that is behind this game right now. Well, I think the reason for it, too, is because if you and, and correct, I forget where I've seen it. And maybe, maybe, maybe you'll be like, oh, no, but it's in that article. I forget where I've seen it. But what I heard is like this game is being made because they're looking at Pokemon and Nintendo. And Disney's like, yeah, we can do that. And they want to kind of jump, kind of jump on that bandwagon. And yeah, could I see, you know, this game, Arcana, could I see this game getting to that size of Pokemon? especially with the backing of Disney, depending on, you know, I mean, it looks like Disney's going you know, quite a bit into this. I could see that game kind of really, really, I mean, especially the game design really blowing up. And yeah, I don't blame, I mean, there's content creators. Absolutely. Like I get on right now. So, um, I mean, you got the backing of Disney, Disney. I mean, one of the top, I think they're in the top five, uh companies in the world yeah what they all their brand name like what their brand stands for this is this is kind of like if um just to just to bring it home to you mike this is kind of like if amazon announced tcg except if amazon owned properties that literally everybody in the world adored (laughs) i know nothing i know nothing (laughs) need to put that legal disclaimer on there now I know nothing. <laughs> oh, don't, like, getting all those side messages, Mike. Is there something that you? I know nothing. But yeah, <laughs> you're right. Though I mean, it'd be like the same thing when Amazon bought Twitch or when Amazon, you know, um, buying up all, like the Amazon gaming studios and all that. Absolutely, a hundred percent. I mean, it's um, the potential. Like the thing is, the potential for this game is huge huge i really hope that ravensburger is able to kind of avoid some of the pitfalls that other board game companies other board game publishers have fallen into trying to do tcgs that's to me that's one of the big issues here is is that you know we've, we've seen issues from um not understanding what the target audience wanted out of like tournament kits tournament prizes tournament frequency tournament locations um not not delivering on um a like stable timeline for for game for for releases expansions for the game etc um you you just get uh, oh and under publishing man that is a big that is a big one and actually i think my biggest fear about lorcana um because i agree you know mike i think we're looking at lorcana as potentially the big 3 turning into the big 4 right big 3 magic pokemon yu-gi-oh it's been that way forever um for for the like at this point probably longer than tcgs have been a th- like uh, the i mean to say more than half the time that tcgs have been a thing like the 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 lion's share of the time tcgs have been a thing has been dominated by the big three yeah right know, that comment you just said i'm just, I, I can tell right now there's probably people listening going you're nuts there's n- no like how long has the big three been the big three i mean we've talked like all these other like there's people the thing you need to remember, and I'm telling you, just you need to think about this. When have we had the size of the company backing this game as big as Disney? That's all I'm going to say. Like, you can think of any other example. 
sure bandai's you know they're but even then, Bandai split into two different divisions. You got your gaming division, you got your... This is Disney. This is top five. This is, like... I mean, this is higher than, like... Yeah, like you said, it's like the equivalent of if Amazon... Or if Google came out and said, we're going to make a card game. Like, people are instantly going to just... They're going to stop what they're doing, and they're going to recognize it. The biggest thing that I'll put is remember when the Xbox came out and Microsoft came and disrupted the video game industry. You know, you had, you know, Nintendo and Sega and like Sony. And then all of a sudden Microsoft came in and go, we're going to make a console. And everyone just stopped what they're doing. What? I mean, the potential. Yeah. It's not guaranteed that it's going to be successful. Absolutely not. But you start paying attention pretty darn quick when you have one of the top five companies in the entire world that says, okay, hey, we're coming into your industry now and we're going to make a game. I don't care if you're the top three, top two, top one. I would be paying attention. I think sure. I, I love that you brought up the video game analogy because uh, and yeah. Google specifically because they just announced the uh, the final shuttering of anything related to Google's video game console, Stadia. I was reading about that. Oh, man. I feel bad. There's people for... Red Dead, uh, Red, Red, Red Redemption. Red Dead Redemption. Red Dead Redemption. There, there you we go. go. Yeah, that they uh, like there was somebody who had six thousand hours invested into the game, and Rockstar, um, who owns the game, they don't have a way to transfer it from like mm. Google to say PC or yeah. whatever. That's Story a shame. Mode, man, I guess, but yeah, and this person's desperately on you know twitter and like 100 percent. like let, let this let they need to have some kind of transfer or something hopefully they can figure something out because i mean i know if i invested six thousand hours into a game and then just all of a sudden to go i'm sorry i mean we're shutting down our game service uh good luck like i i don't know man that's hopefully they allow that person to transfer the game but i bring that up because that was an example of google a gigantic company entering uh, an arena that they hadn't traditionally been in and flopping completely, completely f- like face planting. Um, sure. So it's not out of the question, right? I, I don't think we're, I don't think we're looking at Lorcana and going big, you know, top four, top three, maybe, maybe it's even going to replace something in the big three or something, you know, like, I'm not saying that that's going to happen for sure, but I'm saying that, and that's why I named the podcast is like the potential is there. I think it's going to come down to, um, Ravensburger's execution actually is going to be like the main thing that we're that we have behind us because Disney can put enough money into something to make it work. It's, it's just not that's not really the issue. Um, the issue is whether or not um, if if it's as popular as is, we already saw the D twenty three promos were severely severely underprinted compared to the demand, um, which yeah. is why they're commanding such crazy prices right now. Um, we hope. I guess for the for the benefit of the game that that isn't something that translates uh, when the game actually goes into full release and and the nice thing about doing an early a release this early where they get to kind of gauge the market that way is that they'll have a little more information going into the release. Um, but again, I you know I'm just I'm always there's always this little inkling in my mind this trepidation of it's but it's Ravensburger. Great board game publisher, good, great 
puzzle publisher, I guess, you know, but like, but, but will they be able, we just haven't, we don't have a good precedent of a board game company in the past publishing a TCG, like Steve Jackson tried it with Munchkin, by the way. Did you even remember there's a Munchkin CCG? There was for like a, a few months. Really? Yeah, it was there. Um, but we, we don't have a good precedent of them, of a board game publisher going in the TCG market and then thriving in the way that we see the potential that Lorcana has to do so, you know? So I feel like it's either going to be, I'm going to like, my feeling is it either this game is going to be wildly successful and it's going to tango with the top three, if not take someone out of the top three, or it's, it, it it's, it's going to fail. Like, I don't feel like Disney's going to accept an in-between like, Hey, we're doing all right. Like, I don't feel like, that is going to be acceptable. Like, I feel like this is either like three, four sets in, either this is going to be wildly successful or Disney's going to pull the funding and go, nope, we're done. Like, it's mm. that, that's that, that's my mm. guess. I mean, I yep. have a different opinion on it. I feel it's either going to be top four, top three, or forget it. No, Mike, that's that's such a good point. I'm I'm so happy that you brought that up because I want to I want to bring up an example in the past. Uh, well. Wizards of the Coast um, has has introduced many non-Magic the Gathering games, actually. <laughs> People don't even know that sometimes. Um, but most recently, uh, Transformers TCG was the last one that they had that they canned because of sales. Um, now, the interesting thing was that were there Transformers TCG players? Yep. Yep, there were. What we see in the TCG industry um, fairly commonly is that the larger the publisher is, the the higher their demands are of a, of a product they release. Um, so it's sometimes sometimes you actually want your favorite new property coming into a card game to be released by a smaller publisher. You it's like it's like actually a better thing. It's it's tough to tell because like you know there's just history only goes one way that we can see right now until we get time travel or whatever. Um, and so you can't really see like what could have happened if it were under a different publisher. But I would I would wager that sometimes we see games go for longer under smaller publishers than they would have if a bigger publisher had the game because the expectation is so much higher. Um, and and it does worry me slightly that um, you know it just because because Disney's behind it. If Disney doesn't see Disney numbers on a TCG, then you're right. They're they're just gonna go. Yeah, not worth it. Not gonna, not gonna bother with it anymore. Um, whereas if you had like a small like Jasco Games has been publishing UFS and now My Hero Academia for, I mean for longer than anybody actually knows when they get into the game for the first time, um, and their sales have never been like incredible, like like phenomenal. You know, they've never been a big three game or anything, but they're small enough company where the overhead, you know, justifies is small enough where it justifies them continuing to publish the games and i think jasco is going to keep publishing universes <laughs> for a long time i don't think there's anything that would stop them right now um and they because they don't need to be as big as uh transformers needed to be for wizards of the coast to continue to publishing it exactly so um, yeah, um, great. Uh, Mike, I think you brought up some really interesting points today. I, I think that, you know, I think we're going to keep going in circles if we keep going here at this point. Um, but 
uh, because unlike unlike the other content creators, I don't know that I can really sp- spend the next year just speculating about Lorcana. Um, yeah, it's just not enough info yet. But more power to you guys. Like, I'm I'm super excited that the excitement is there for Lorcana because I'm I can't wait to see how it turns out. Um, I hope it's an awesome game. Um, I think we did a I think we did a good job kind of explaining you know where we think the potential is, where we think the pitfalls are. Um, and I'm definitely interested to hear what everyone who listened to the podcast or watched it on YouTube has to say about Lorcana. What do you guys think? Are you guys pumped for Lorcana? Do you do you think it's going to be an easy top three game, or is this going to flop? Is Ravensburger going to not quite know what they're doing enough to pull it out, or is Disney just going to pull the the funding if it's um if it's not performing uh, to their expectations? I guess. Um, let us know what you guys think down below. Um, always happy to to bring another podcast to you guys, Mike. It's been a pleasure. Love having Absolutely. you on. Um, do you have... Uh, love, love, love being on. Love being on. Yes, and we'll have you on the next one. The we're, the next one, we're planning on talking about Dragon Ball Super Zenkai series. Um, and, uh, and, and there's going to be so much more Bandai to talk about, actually, because, man, they do not stop coming out with games. We got One Piece and now Battle Spirit Saga coming next year. <laughs> I'm running out of money. Like, I'm going to have to start, start like a GoFundMe campaign. Please support my foil deck addiction of all these Bandai games. Like, it, yeah. You're going to have to sell your pop collection in the background there. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> a big, a big uh, no from Mike on that. I'm excited, excited for the There's, um, I do like the direction Bandai's going in. Really, really mixing it up with new mechanics. Um and uh yeah just just being able to talk about the new mechanics and some of the new stuff and the collectors and all that good fun stuff i can't wait for that podcast for sure we'll be back with it hopefully a lot sooner than this one took us to get out but um it's it's been really nice to get back and talk to you guys been really fun podcasting i hope you guys enjoyed listening to this quick shout out to our patrons who are incredible support network for us that uh, keep us going and keep our community thriving. If you haven't joined the Discord community, you totally should. Our Discord community is awesome. TCGs, tons of super friendly, fun people, and we're hosting leagues, uh, webcam leagues that people can play in every month for various card games. So hope to see you in the Discord. Thanks so much for listening today, guys. And thanks again, Mike, for joining me. And we'll catch you guys in the next episode of the Main Deck Podcast. Take it easy, everyone.